Upon further review. Upon further review. Welcome to Upon Further Review, your weekly uptake of hot topics across the National Hockey League. Powered by your hosts, Angelo Ricci and Stefan Bianchi. Angelo, all I've been seeing on like sports Twitter and stuff is that well, the World Baseball Classic finished and my timeline has been full of baseball for whatever reason because I don't really follow baseball. But I just have a question. As somebody who knows baseball, for you, is do you think Otani will go down as one of, the, one of, if not the best baseball player ever? Not ever, but probably the most versatile. I mean, I don't think we've ever seen... We've never seen a pitcher and a hitter in one player before past Babe Ruth, and Babe Ruth was good at both. Didn't he stop pitching at like 24, though, Babe he, Ruth? He did, but he was a very good pitcher until until the time. The thing with Shohei Otani is that he's competing for Cy Young, so he throws 100, and he's also leading... 102? Yeah, he's insane. And he's also leading the league in, in, in home runs for most years. Last year was a runaway with Judge, but I think the year before that, he almost hit the... the That's uh, stupid. Yeah, there's just... The thing with baseball, is I say this all the time, it's the sport where any one individual player is the least impactful out of any sport. In basketball, guys can play um, every minute of every game, but even the best player in history, quite possibly, and Mike Trout might only get three at-bats and one fly ball, and that's why the Angels haven't had success. You see a guy like Shohei Otani is the first player to ever have so much impact on both sides of the ball. It, it's it's insane to see. Like The guy can go out and pitch eight innings, throw 102, and then hit two home runs in a game and steal a base. Like That'll never happen again. So is his war... A billion off compared to everybody because he has the, the combined numbers, right? It, it's insane. The problem is it kind of gets skewed by the fact that he plays on a really bad team. But oh. indi- individually, he's probably the most um, the most valuable player in the MLB, which is crazy because for the longest time, I thought Mike Trout was the most dominant athlete at his sport, irrespective of the fact that he couldn't win. I didn't think he would be the second best player in the league until he retired. And Shoei Otani plays on the same team. And they still suck. And they're bad. I, I don't understand how they're bad. They're going to be good this year. They got pitching. Um, they got a good lineup. I think Rendon's going to be back healthy. They finally they got a good pitcher in Tyler Anderson. Just It's crazy. They have the best 2-3 in the league, and they can't make the playoffs. Their division isn't even that good. Isn't Otani going to leave? Is, is his contract up next season? Or? Next season. But he oh, said okay. when they asked, he kind of pulled like a low-key John Tavares this season. They asked him if he was going to leave to see if they could trade him, and he said he was going to stay. So we'll see if he ends up staying. If they win, like why not stay? But if they lose, they're not even going to make the playoffs. Probably they're just the an- the angels are the angels. They're like the Mets, man. Like they're great every year, and then they're supposed to be like every year is supposed to be their year, kind of thing. Like the Mets are going to met the angels. Are just they're just going to be oh. them. Were you surprised that Japan won though? Extremely world extreme, baseball extreme, champ. Extreme, I think it's the, I I didn't know the favorite, so I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was the states yeah. and maybe Mexico that were the two favorites. Oh, really? I think so. I, bu- I could be very wrong on that, but I, I think so. Like, the states are always a powerhouse. Their lineup one through nine is filled with every every third hitter on every contending team. Yeah, they're good. It's like Trout, Betts, Freeman, Arenado, Goldschmidt. Like, all these guys were up for the for the most valuable player last year. In- insane. Jeez. And the fact that they didn't win, honestly, that's great for Japan. Great. Apparently... I saw a stat that I think like 90-something percent of TVs were tuned into that final. I even watched that. I don't, I don't watch baseball ever. It just goes to show that when, and we'll get into this pretty soon, that yeah. when you have a sport um, that is so dominated in one country like baseball is in the States, and granted there are other leagues out there that compete, but the MLB is far and away the biggest league in the world. When you have it on an international stage, 
the exposure on an international level is just insane. And if that inspires one more kid to be the next Shohei Otani, that grows the game in, in an incredible way. Do you think we're just going to see start seeing a bunch more of these guys who can do both? Yes, undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. That's the game is changing. Like, you see it. There's always one guy who, what's the word? Is it trailblazer when he starts yeah. something? Like, I don't know if that's used in the context yeah. of sports, but I think it is. you'll see it in bat, in football, too, excuse me, where before, like, the Lamar Jacksons types of players, it was always a great pocket passer quarterback. It takes one guy to come out and change the game, and now it's pretty much a prerequisite that every single QB is a, is a dual threat running, throwing QB. I think we're going to start to see the same thing in baseball where most people can can pitch and hit together because as you can see with Otani I mean it's incredibly valuable and a lot of these guys too like they'll tell you in in their junior years in their college years they were the best pitcher and hitter on their team they've just always been forced to choose they can inherently Mm. do both and I just think now they'll start developing in both yeah why wouldn't why wouldn't you want to do both you remember make way more money remember Anthony Ghost used to play for isn't he he's a closer now for somebody right or he's a relief pitcher or something he used to be our center fielder he was a pretty good center fielder could just never take the jump at the major league level retired i think came back throw casually throws 96 and is now a pretty good closer in the mlb you play for the tigers right or something the tigers or the the guardians maybe i can't remember oh maybe you're right it's one of the but the point is is that all of these guys can do both like i bet you with a crow hop most of these guys can probably throw 100 what's that it's like when you take a couple steps before you launch the ball oh okay okay, so if you now if you just give them like two or three years to train, I bet you most of the guys in the MLB can throw 85. And if even a quarter of them can throw 90 plus, look at how many pitchers you have and you save salary cap. I think the, I think the era is going to change. I saw this TikTok of, of um, I think it was a 16 year old girl. She was throwing 80. Wow. That's crazy. That's stupid. That's insane. 80 is an, for the average baseball player growing up, you won't even be able to see 80. Like you can't yeah. see it. The ball will be in the catcher's mitt before it gets released from their hand. And then, but in the big leagues, they hit they hit like ninety five plus every every fastball. It's, it's pretty much a prerequisite now. That's I remember so what stupid. made me quit, quit baseball. I used to play as a kid, and granted, I was like fourteen, so like it was a high level. But I was a kid. It was like five one. I I was normally hitting sixty mile per hour pitches. I remember this one guy. I can't remember what team he was on. Either Mississauga or Scarborough. He was like six two two twenty at like fifteen, and he was throwing like ninety two, and I got hit on the inner thigh. And I couldn't walk for like a week. And my dad's like, okay, maybe this is the time. <laughs> maybe this is the time to call <laughs> save it. save your brain. Yeah, this maybe this is the time to call. It's just these athletes are getting better at a younger age. They're more versatile. That's crazy. I'm, I'm excited to see it. If if this happens like we predict it, which I think it will, Shohei Otani can honestly go down as like a Steph Curry type of player in the MLB where he just really changes how the game is played. One of the most revolutionary type of players in the game. Yeah, which is pretty yes. crazy to see. That um point you made about guys becoming really good when they're twelve is wild. Like, I remember when we were growing up, even even I guess maybe towards the end of when we were growing up, people started to f- play hockey. Let's say all year round, but I remember a lot of the time people played two sports, but that never happens now. Yeah, growing up, even with me too, it was always in everyone I played with too. It was always you played hockey, and then you would either play soccer or baseball, and then lacrosse, lacrosse was kind of like the third. Like Tavares was one of the best lacrosse players in his. In yeah, his year, Shanahan was really good at lacrosse too. And now players are just starting to devote their whole lives to hockey. But I I guess that if you if you want to make it, if that if your goal is to play pro, maybe you have to. Yeah. But I just feel like how many kids? How many of these kids are going to make pro? Like point one percent. I mean, if you took a poll of AAA fathers, they'll tell you ninety five percent. They all think their kids are going to make it. That's I guess that's the thing. Yeah. Well, how many of these kids do? You, I mean, 
how many of these kids do you think enjoy playing hockey tw- 10 months a year? What do you mean by like enjoy? They wake up and they're excited to go to the rink or they're indifferent and low-key worried that their dad's going to yell at them if they play bad? Which one? I, I mean like, oh, I got to go <laughs> to the rink again for the for the fifth time this week oh. and for the 20th time this month. A majority. 60 to 70 percent what's even the point at that point the point is is that when you have kids that have talent like this their their fathers granted grew up without that talent they see it in their kid and they they're at different points in their lives and they think their kids need to be get dedicated 25 8 and then they the kid doesn't love the game anymore you know the kid and more than likely doesn't make it pro then they're left with like I don't know. They're probably not. They're left with lighting up the ASHL yeah, in Division yeah. E. That's right. That's <laughs> right. That's right. We got one of those right here. I'm oh, yeah. sitting next to him. Yeah, a casual. It was a uh, yeah. Division All Star. It's crazy. It's crazy. A bunch like even now when you talk about like when you see players that you used to play with, um, growing up, and now we're all adults, and you talk like you talk about how crazy the culture was in, in hockey and, and the, the pressure to be good. Do you think it's gotten worse or, or better or the same? It was pretty bad in, when you were playing. From what I've heard, it's gotten... Well, I mean, if guys are now playing all year round, I don't think it's. I don't think it could have gotten easier. Yeah. Yeah. It probably becomes a point where it's not really doing what you wanted it to do before. And the yeah. kid probably just becomes like t- tuned out or disengaged. And then it's like you're wasting your money at that point too. But and we got off track a little bit. What what we wanted to get towards with the WBC is we need this in the NHL so badly. Um, I think it just showed I, I who am admittedly not a huge baseball fan, I only follow the the Jays at a distance and like I ask you for updates because you follow them. Mm-hmm. But it just goes to show that you can get people who don't normally follow your sport to follow your sport when you put the best 100 players in the world in a tournament for two or three weeks and let them just be the best. It's, cra- it's crazy to think that the nhl has continually shot themselves in the foot by not allowing their game to grow in the same way is it the nhl though or is it the owners like the nhl is in favor of it are they not or am i wrong I, there well the nh i by by the nhl i mean the owners because okay. the pa wants it it's heavily in favor of it yeah and they i mean we talked about this before i i think the logic of wanting to protect your assets which is what the players are to these owners it make it makes sense in in a very in, in a vacuum, because yeah. if you're going on a playoff run, you get hurt. I think John Tavares got hurt at one Olympics, and then the Islanders were screwed. But if the owners want to make the most money, I, f- I think it would be of interest to them to have these kinds of displays so really? that more, more fans become a fan of the game. And then you make more money on your equity down the road. Like, down the road, maybe. It's just, I'm going to be honest with you. If I was an NHL owner, I would not want to send my players to the, to the Olympics. I wouldn't. But, but as an owner, would you not have financial interest that that's your whole that's the whole reason for being an owner right for sure so like and I, I can't i don't have any numbers or projections but i would you not think if you have a really good world cup of hockey or a really good olympics and people more people watch like you're gonna make more money down the road don't you think you could but the issue with one of your players getting hurt now is you immediately immediately lose money now like it's different in hockey like we say all the time it's it takes so many years to rebuild a team because it's a hard cap like imagine you you're bad for like 10 years. You finally, you get lucky, you draft well. Your team is good for four or five years. And now one of your best guys gets hurt for a year with a prime 
playoff run, like, are you going to risk one of your five glory years after you just risked five terrible financially poor years? Like, look what happened to Edwin Diaz. We were talking about this a bit off air. Edwin Diaz, for anyone who doesn't know, anyone who follows baseball definitely knows who he is. He's the guy with the, um, when the trumpets play, when he comes in for the Mm -hmm. Mets in the ninth inning, undoubtedly the best closer in the league last year. Might have won reliever of the year. I'm not sure. Easily a top five reliever. The Mets went all in this year again. They've fallen short many years in a row this year. They go out, they get Verlander, they got Scherzer last year. Yeah. They signed Diaz, I'm pretty sure, to a multi-year extension. He's probably their most important piece because coming out of that bullpen in the ninth inning, if you a guy to shut down, I mean, you effectively shorten the game by by a ninth. Like that, that's yeah. very important. You know how he got hurt? He was celebrating right? in the World Baseball Classic. That's bad enough that he got hurt then, but yeah, he got hurt celebrating a victory. I think he has a torn patellar tendon. He's yeah. gonna miss the year. That drastically changes their probability of winning. For sure. I'm no, I I understand it. I just don't like it. No, I don't. And me neither. Well, I guess yeah. I guess like for in hockey in particular, when you have that that window, you don't want anything to compromise it. But you're gonna get other windows. I agree. In baseball, you will because the Mets can just buy themselves to another window. Yeah, I guess they, they have a they have a soft cap situation right i am not surprised that hockey is a sport that is most hesitant to have an international stage just because of how difficult it is yeah to make a run like that like if mcdavid gets hurt in the world cup of hockey oh my gosh mm-hmm. that's in, that, yeah, that's that team is screwed and now you know what i'm saying i wouldn't send them as an owner and that's me being heavily in favor for it as a fan so maybe we should take the other side about it um there is also a lot of benefit to it as well like first and foremost i'm pretty sure this year it was right before the season started and I'm pretty sure 100% of the players that went will tell them that best-on-best best talent is a far better tune-up for a season than True. meaningless games. True. That's a good point. They, I think the last time they had it, when it was in Toronto, they had it just before the season started, yeah. too. And everyone was... I guess there's an argument to be made that people are in better form in the middle of the season, but that kind of maybe ruins your schedule-making and it introduces new barriers. I think before the season, that fans are engaged. The season hasn't started yet. It's when the most excitement is around the game put on a show for two weeks for sure and there's also just something different about watching your country play. yeah like way for the, different for the first time in a while all of your peers everyone around you in your city you're all on the same team and it's really That's cool true. it's really cool and i'm pretty sure if you pulled people who have never watched hockey in canada and you said to them what's one th- hockey moment that you know 10 out of 10 are saying the golden the, goal. the golden goal yeah it generates memories and like you're saying if it gets five percent more fans in that's big for the game and i think hockey i was Thinking about this before we start, I think hockey is the only North American sport that doesn't have a dedicated best on best that happens every so often. Yep. And it's also the worst out of the four major sports in terms of fan viewership and engagement and just, yeah, like nobody, nobody watches hockey in the States. So I think that's a good way to grow it, especially because the States are freaking good now. Like they could easily win a, um, a World Cup of Hockey and that would be huge for, for the States in no. terms of viewership and growing the game i agree and the honestly the only other sport that doesn't do it is coincidentally the only other sport that has a hard cap in the nfl right so i wonder if oh that's right but i guess it's different because i think and once again i could be very wrong here i'm pretty sure most of the nfl is american yeah i'm pretty sure but that's a good point about the cap too and it, it obviously injuries are way more likely anytime you play a game like that's why that's why people were so hesitant to put in that extra 17th game in this season yeah um but I'm, I, I guess they did it because it generates more money. They than, got the owners got more money out of it, but a hundred percent. It would be really cool to see, but I can very much understand why owners are hesitant to doing it. 
but I think it'd be so cool to see now because I remember the World Cup of Hockey when it was at maybe it was like five years ago now with it was, team it was long it was before Matthew's first season so I was I think it was 2017 team North America like those types of teams yeah that was a time when Canada was just so dominant like a second Canadian team probably would have been in the finals yeah they were really really good it would have been so it would be even better today because like you alluded to I don't know if you can definitely say no, Canada's the best you team can, in the world. No, you can't. Who would you take, Canada or the States? It's between one of the two. Yeah. Um, I think maybe maybe because I'm Canadian and I've, I'm used to seeing teams that are way more stacked and have way more depth. I'm a little, I, I feel like this team isn't good. Obviously, they're a great team. They have the best player in the world, so that goes a long way. Mm-hmm. I just look at I looked at the projected one through four of the states. Those lines, they're they're all incredible, and they don't have like a Zach Hyman who's projected to be on. They they're just superstars left and right in every position. Yeah. So, on paper, I I actually think it, the states might even edge out the the Canadian forward Which group. Is crazy to say. And on defense, they're no slouch either. Better. They're arguably better, and in net, they're one hundred percent better. Yep. So even if you give the forward group to Canada because they have McDavid and better top end talent, that's arguable too. Um, the states have a better, better back end, and I, I think maybe Canada relies on their, you know, like DNA, their winning DNA to get them over the line. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't be a cakewalk. It never is against the states, but I would be, I would be very, very scared going into a finals. I agree. Yeah, there's a consistent trend. Canada is more top heavy in their yeah. talent, but the states are undoubtedly deeper. The only exception is down the middle like mcdavid mckinnon crosby, crosby bergeron is, bergeron bergeron's gonna would play he the wing probably win with crosby but, but even even mcdavid mckinnon crosby is the, is the best yeah is the best centerman depth yeah in like the history of it's hockey the best player of the last two generations on the same team that that that's the only one but the americans are no slouch either off the top of my head it would be matthews it would be thompson eichel and eichel and Larkin. maybe and maybe jt miller maybe jt miller yeah who's it, been crazy recently so with that being said the only place that canada edges out the states is down the middle and the states are pretty close when you look at winger depth the states are faster stupid they're younger and they can score better like canada if you look at their wings, it is literally just a consistent trend of centers who are kind of old that we're going to move to the wing. It's Tavares, Stamco, Shifley, Bergeron, like you're saying. Yeah. Off the top of your head, you know who the wingers would be on the States? It's Jason Robertson. Insane. Matthew Kachuk. Yep. Who the, am I missing? The other Kachuk. Goudreau, other Kachuk. Kane. Kyle Connor, Debrinket, Miller, Gensel, Kreider. That's like crazy. Some of the yeah. best Kreider goals, too. Some of the best goal scorers in the league. Mm-hmm. They're fast. They're dynamic. I think they're better than us there. Like, they're, they're quicker. On the wing. I think the only dynamic winger off the top of my head that Canada would have, like, pure wingers, is Marner. Yeah, Marner. And he's off the rush. Is Marner one of the most dynamic players in the league? I think he's one of the most dynamic players in the league, period. Eh. But I think he does his he does his best work when he gets the puck in the ozone and can, like, circle it, around. Exactly. He's not... Yeah, maybe his top-end speed isn't top, that's top, what, top. That's yeah. what I mean. I mean, off the rush. Yeah, like he's having, not blistering fast. No, and I'm... Yeah, it's... So they're on the wing. They're probably better than us. And then defensively, once again, we have more top-end talent. I think it's pretty equal, to be honest. Like on we defense? Have, yeah, we have like Makar, Makar. Makar, Hamilton, Ekblad, Riley, Petrel. Like pretty good. It's pretty good. And then States, well, have, you know who they would it's, be? It's like Fox, McAvoy, Slavin, Insane. Carlson. Carlson. Who else? I'm missing someone huge. Eh, no, Hughes? not really. Hughes, yeah. Hughes, Wierenski. Like Seth Jones yeah. is kind of bad now. But He's kind of bad. I mean, Fox, McAvoy competes pretty well with Hamilton, Makar. Oh, yeah. And then once again in net, 
their third best goalie is better than our first goalie. Yeah, our f- Canada has a goaltending crisis. Who would be our? F- who would be the states' goalies? It'd be Hellebuck, Hellebuck, Ottinger, and Demko. Demko. And who do we have? Hart, and Flurry, and Bennington. Like that's bad. That's really bad. Carter Hart would probably start. That's and really bad. He's a he's an above average goalie for sure. He's really good. Probably you can see argue he's very good, but he's not a superstar goalie. And they have three. Yeah, the states have been for the first time. Arguably the best team in the world. And considering the rivalry that Canada has with the States, considering the last time they were in the Olympics, the drama and how it ended, it would have set up one of the craziest stages, especially because like the States are just so young Mm -hmm. and Canada's more veteran. It'd be like kind of that kind of clash too. I don't know who I would take. I honestly don't know who I would take. No, me me neither. I'd have to take Canada because we're Canadian, but (laughs) I would not be surprised if... It's the states won, and if they won, kind of convincingly too, because they're just that good and they're that deep. One of the issues is that game would be so rough. The amount oh, of injuries in I that game, as an owner, you well, can't even watch it. You can't. You yeah, can't watch it. I don't. Sorry, owners. Like I'm watching that, and I'm like soaking every second of it. And I think another thing that matters about the WBC is that the players all. And there was some weird discourse on twitter where all, all the reporters were for some reason saying oh the wbc is, is stupid blah 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 i don't know why so but the, something to write about yeah but the players wanted to be there do they not undoubtedly yeah. overwhelmingly and so i i mean when you have mcdavid coming out and saying it he makes a point to say it every chance he gets the best player in your in your sport in the entire world wants to do this i'm pretty sure that's a sentiment probably felt by all the other star players mm-hmm. so i mean if the players want it that's important I think there, I, th- I well, I think there is pl- are plans to have one either next year or the year after, but that would make it almost that would make it eight, seven, eight years since the last one, which is way too long for sure. And I think the push is a little bit bigger now, just because the WBC had quite possibly like the most Cinderella storybook ending it could have possibly yeah, had. Great story, like Shohei Otani versus Mike Trout, That's the insane. best two players in the game. They're both on the same team. It comes down to the final at bat. It was literally what you dream of as a kid when you're in your backyard hitting off your tee, mm-hmm. bottom of the ninth, two outs, down by one, three, two count, best hitter against the best pitcher. And he strikes him out with one of the nastiest sliders, yeah. which, by the way, was at 95 after you have to foul off a 101 mile per hour pitch. Like it's it's the storybook ending. Everything went viral. And now it's it's kind of leaking into other sports. And whether the W, if the WCBC didn't have that ending, would there have been such a drive to have the World Cup of Hockey? Probably not, but the drive would have still been there. But I'm happy it ended like this because it's about time that the push comes to our game as well. That's right. We're just going to take a brief minute to shut out the sponsor of today's episode, SeatGeek. Looking to enjoy a night out with some friends watching a sports game, concert, comedy show, or music festival? Hit up SeatGeek, an app that helps you find tickets in the cheapest and simplest possible way by visiting their site, You can see events happening near you and within one click can instantly get access to tickets at the cheapest possible price. With SeatGeek's price grading system, you can instantly find out whether you're getting a bargain on the tickets you buy. At checkout, be sure to enter code UFRPOD to get $20 off your first purchase. Visit SeatGeek today and revolutionize the way you buy tickets. While we're on the topic of the two, we mentioned earlier McDavid Crosby being a one-two punch. We have to just talk a little bit about McDavid. We talked about him last episode, but he did something again, so we got to talk about him. Um, 60 goals in 72 games so far this season. Damn. 
Um, 70 is not out of the question. It would be very difficult because you got to get 10 and 12. But I mean, is he not averaging that? He's probably pretty close. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's probably pretty close to that. Um, just a subtle reminder here. Matthew's got 16.73 last we'll talk season. About, we'll so, talk about that pretty soon. Um, what McDavid's doing is incredible, but what Matthew said last year was nothing short of incredible either. Do you think he hit 70? Yes. You think so? Yeah, I think I, I think so. I think so because the last time a player hit 70 was Timo Solani in what, like early 2000s Jesus, or 90s or something like that. that. I'm not sure, but just a long time ago. To have yet another individual accolade, and you probably will be the only player to hit 70 until you retire. And this is probably the only season that he can do it because Connor McDavid has suffered injuries through most of his career. This year, he's finally healthy. This is probably his only season that he's going to do it. I think he's just going to... I think there's going to be a general consensus on the team that he is shooting every puck for yeah. the next 12 games. Kind of like, remember last year with Matthews? Like oh, they would give they him, feeding him every puck. Even like Kuznetsov when when he was going to break... When Ovi was going to break Howe's record, mm. I'm pretty sure. They like had an open net break where he turned around yeah. and was giving it to Ovechkin. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised to see McDavid have five empty net goals in the last twelve games. And still, it doesn't make it any less valid. No, no. I just think he's going to get it because they're going to make a point. Yeah. What about you? Here's the question. I actually like off the top of my head. If you're Jay Woodcroft, mm-hmm. are you letting him play the last twelve games at twenty six minutes a night at full intensity? Granted, if you want him to get ten in the last twelve, he's going to have to score an empty net. That means being on the ice in the last two minutes and have to be blocking shots. Are you letting them do it? Because if they don't make the playoffs, they're done. Yeah, what? That's tough. I th- yeah, you obviously risk him getting hurt if you play him all that time. I think if McDavid wants to do it, you have to let him. I think you have to let him because he's McDavid. He runs the le- he runs that team regardless. He's, and I'm not saying he runs that team in a way like LeBron runs the team when he calls the shots, but McDavid is McDavid. He's the best player in the world. If he wants to play and, and hit 70, you have to let him. Because imagine that now there's friction in the dressing room or between the coach and McDavid when they make the playoffs. I know sometimes a coach has to put their foot down and say, no, this is for the best of the team. But I think similar to Matthews, Matthews was playing a lot before he, he hit 60 because I think that you want that story. You want him to feel good about himself. And he's driven and he's still playing his ass off leading into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Maybe that gives him good momentum. But I think they give him every shot to do it. Until maybe there's like two games and left and he's at 65 and then they say, okay, we're going to sit you now. Do you have the conversation with him with these yeah. last 12 games saying, hey, you, take it easy? I think you say, hey, Connor, like, I know you're, you're close to 70 here. How do you, like, what, what, what do you, I think you have a conversation and get it and see what he wants. If he's like, no, I'm, I'm getting 70, you know, help me get there. Maybe you don't play him 25 minutes, maybe you play him 20 and you give him a ton of ozone starts and a ton of. Leave him on the power play for all two minutes. Like, get, just give him the chances and like a limited amount of ice time. But if he wants to do it, I think you have to let him. And maybe you even set up a couple plays where everybody else on the team is blocking shots, and he's kind of cherry picking yeah. and they click the puck to him or something I, like that. I think they're pretty safe in the playoff picture now. Yep. They're probably going to finish third or second, but they're not going to catch the the Knights. Yeah. So they're playing LA, I think. So if you already know that, um, I think you can manage the situations to put him in a position to succeed and hopefully not compromise his health at the same time for sure okay so you talked about matthews getting 60 and 73 73 and mcdavid got 60 and 72 Mm -hmm. i was going to talk about this when we had our ovechkin segment but this seems like a good time to talk about it now off the top of your head this isn't fair so if he misses a guy you didn't prepare for this would you say the top five goal scorers are in the league mcdavid at one right now yeah okay pasta at two okay you got to throw your boy in there at three. Come on. I think Matt Matthews is there. Even though he's having a down year, he's still 
I'm not going to let recency bias affect that. Yep. Honestly, if I'm not letting recency bias affect that, he's probably two yep. ahead of Pasta. So Matthew's two, Pasta three, Dreisaitl four. Yep. I'm trying to think who's, honestly, Tage? Yeah, well, you got my list perfectly. Yeah. If you if you count going into next year, who's the best goal scorer? Obviously, you have to take the form that they're in now. But you also have to take how they've, how they've played over the last yeah. two or three years. You cannot judge a player on a single year. Number five, I agree. Ovechkin or Thompson, straight, oh, straight up. I forgot about him. Ovechkin's a lock for 40 a year, but Thompson shows flashes of 50 and excellence. I don't know who's better. And we're talking about just the next year, like take age out of yeah, it. Yeah. Number one. Number four, I agree. Dreisaitl having a bit of a down year overall scoring. but Still he's, got 100 points, Yeah, and he's still a lock for four. Like a down year for Leon Dreisaitl still puts him as a top three offensive player oh in the God. NHL. Yeah. Number three, I agree. I'm going David Pasternak over the last four years. The guy has just been a lock a for 40 to 50. And if he's healthy, he's getting 50 a year. He's that guy. And he's also been doing it on a line without Bergeron and Marchand for a very long That's time. That's right. He hasn't been playing with them this year. Yeah, he's a, he's individually probably one of the best goal scorers in the league. Number two, I'm still going Matthews. Like yeah. I don't understand how anyone disagrees with me. Like He battled injury all year, still on pace for 45. He's the back-to-back Richard winner. That carries weight. Oh, and number God. number one is obviously McDavid, but like you said, McDavid sixteen seventy two, Matthew sixteen seventy three. And the argument here isn't Matthews is a better player than McDavid. I did think he was a better goal scorer than him last year. I don't think that anymore. Yeah. But like, let's not forget that McDavid did it this year with no injuries. I think like the prospect that McDavid can get seventy overshadows the fact of what Matthews did last year because people look at it and they go, oh, he got 60 last year. But 60 and 73 is amazing. Yeah. And if Matthews was healthy last year, played a full 82 games, you don't think he would have gotten 65, 70? He would have. Well, I think he could have got 65 for sure. 100%. And last year, McDavid did it this year with no injuries. Matthews last year was battling yes. injury for multiple few... years, multiple multiple yeah. months, had wrist injuries, and still put up 16-72. Let's also not forget yeah. McDavid is on the best power play in the league. Most of that is driven by him. Right. Yeah. But still. Matthews is on the second best power play in the league. Helps. Mc, McDavid plays with the best passer and arguably playmaker in the league, but Matthews plays with the second best one. Yeah. So individually McDavid is the better goal scorer but I'm seeing all these things on TikTok going um remember last year there was a debate that Matthews was a better goal scorer than McDavid yeah like there was a debate because and he was statistically they're pretty equal McDavid is just so much better and dynamic individually so much better as a playmaker and points wise I think people use that argument to say Matthews there isn't an argument that he's at least a good of a goal scorer overall you could probably still make an argument that he's a better goal scorer because since he's coming, since they both come into the league, Matthews by every scoring metric you want to use has been better. Five on five power play up until this year, McDavid has not popped off. Yep. We always had it in him, but he's never done it. Mm-hmm. So that's not Matthews' fault. I I, I agree, yeah. and I think a lot of that is also like Leon Draisaitl said in an interview. I think McDavid just thought of himself as a pass first yeah. first type of player, and Draisaitl this year said he told McDavid start scoring. <laughs> And you give him Look free reins. Like I, I agree. Like McDavid is the better goal scorer right now. He's. Yeah. I quite possibly don't think there's anything that McDavid does that isn't the best in the league, other than passing. In terms of like the skating, goal scoring, yeah. vision, everything, hands. But Matthews is right there in terms of goal scoring. Yeah. And to have it's just. I mean, I guess that comes with wearing the maple leaf. You have one bad year, and everybody starts saying you're terrible. But with everybody else, it's you know one year doesn't judge a player. Yeah. Uh, double standards. Just if you took, if you put player A as one, two Rocket Richards <laughs> in a row, scored 16, and 73, heart. and the heart, 
this year was on pace for 45 with a down year. I don't think anybody in the NHL is not saying he is arguably the best goal scorer. Yeah, I think it's a lot of fan-driven narrative. I don't think I, I think if you pull GMs, they're all taking Matthews as a top two goal scorer. Two. Like, not even close. Right. So I think it's just a it's a fan thing. You could say it comes to the territory, but fans are there to be fans and to talk crap about other teams. So I mean, let them have it. Hopefully, we win the win a cup soon. And we can make them all be quiet. What I don't want to jinx ourselves. Those um. Those takes will probably get a little bit of heat on TikTok from Euler fans, That's but you know fine. what? Let's double down. Okay. McDavid is quite possibly already individually on the Mount Rushmore of like individual hockey players, like skill. Yeah. So if you're taking like quote unquote legacy or greatness out of Take it, it out. skill, he's probably two. Yeah, two. So who's the other player that he's always gets compared to in his prime? Sid. Taking Prime Sid or Pride McDavid? You mm. know, we don't even know if this is Prime McDavid yet. Might, Are you taking the best you've seen McDavid, knowing what he can be, or Prime yeah. Sidney Crosby? Go. This is a really tough one. But I honestly think I'm leaning towards McDavid. Okay. And I, I'm doing that because he, since I've been a fan of hockey, can remember, I've never seen a player dominate the game the way McDavid has in all facets of offensive play he's the best skater i've ever seen has the best hands i've ever seen it's the best passing granted sid was an is and was an incredible passer you can even maybe draw them even on vision if you want i think that's fair i think mcdavid is just so much better at everything else i i have a hard time taking him over anybody and if i think a one big argument in sid's favor is that he he's won and that's that's credit he deserves to have that in as part of his argument but we like you said we've only seen the beginning of what mcdavid can be i think he has it in him to win one if not multiple cups like i've mentioned it a couple times his mentality shift in the past couple of years has been drastic he seems like a much better leader he's more driven he's less irritable because like sid early in his career it's, it's easy to become irritable if people are hacking and slashing and cross-checking you yeah. right but i think he's he's now 26 Right, 26, 27? He's a ninety-seven. He's ninety-seven. So he's twenty. He's twenty-six. Um, I think he's just matured a lot as a player, as a leader, and I think moving forward, the best is still yet to come. So I'm taking McDavid for now and potentially the future over the best version of Sid. But that's not a slight against Sid because he's my favorite player growing up. I'll take the other side, a because you took McDavid, and also, I know you love Sid. There's no wrong answer. No, here. there's not. That's the thing. Like you're quite possibly saying the most skilled player in hockey history. Versus the second most skilled player in NHL in, history. In our f- in time any as generation. I'm sorry, you put well, Sidney like, Crosby in the divi- in hockey when they were using wooden sticks and twelve goals a game, he yeah. would have had Gretzky numbers. If you if you were to ask my dad though, he would like be we would give an impassioned argument that Marilyn Mew is the most skilled player he's ever seen. Fair. You know so, what? So like I, it's yeah. a generational thing, That's right? Fair. That's why I prefaced it by saying the most skilled player I've ever seen, because yeah. I didn't get to watch Lemieux and Gretzky and those guys. That's fair. Okay, a little bit of a comparison here. So the, the viewers alongside can form their own opinion. Mm-hmm. McDavid's career stats in five hundred and fifty nine games, two hundred and ninety nine goals, five hundred and thirty six assists. That's um I, I can't do the math. That's over eight hundred points. He's won two heart trophies, multiple Ted Lindsay's, I think. Mm-hmm. Multiple Ted Lindsay's. Um Sidney Crosby through his first 559 career games, the same that McDavid's played, 284 goals. It's like 15 less than McDavid. 500 assists, 36 less than McDavid. Slightly mm. better plus minus, but was on a better defensive team. Um, the only thing is Sidney Crosby, like you said, has what? I think two Hart trophies, three Stanley Cups, two Conn Smythe trophies. But not 
He's ha- he has. But in, did he win the, all those cups in his first eight years? He won one in his, one one, one up, for up sure. To this time. Yeah, and I think okay. he won the heart at that time too. Because I think in his most recent, he won like two and three years. I think he won the heart one year. Yeah. Did he win the rocket though? I'd, he's never won the rocket. I mean, Dev's sure. gonna win it this year. Yeah, he will. Which is crazy to think. Um, I don't know if Crosby's won a Ted Lindsay overall. Um, I'm not sure. He he must have at some point. I but. don't. But it's just so hard to argue about McDavid versus Crosby because individually, like you said, McDavid is better. Yeah. But the thing is, is that, um, and I'm not saying Connor McDavid doesn't make those around him better. Like he's turned Leon sure. Dreitzel into a 130 point, 55 goal scorer. He's made that team be one of the best in the Pacific. It's just Crosby in his prime turned Chris Kunitz into one of the best goal scorers sure. in the league. They were perennial cup favorites in every year in his prime. I don't think most people have taken Edmonton to be a cup favorite right now, point. right? It's just Crosby. The, the one place I'll disagree with you is I think Crosby's vision is the best I've ever seen. Yeah. I just, to He'd, see guys make no look backhand yeah. passes like that is just, it's different. Mm-hmm. It's di- And I don't want to use those proverbial phrases where you say, Crosby is just, he just makes everyone around him so much better and no one can do it. It's, I just, there was just something about him in his prime that you knew when push came to shove, he was going to win. It was clutch. Yeah, he was going to do it. I think he's the best captain that we've seen in our prime. Like, yeah. like, like we said, there's been so many superstars on that team. There's never been any drama. First no. type of drama was this year with Malkin said he was going to leave in maybe a matter of three days. It was closed. Yeah. Um, to win me a Stanley Cup. If there, if you're going to tell me there's a few players on that team that can shoot the puck, that Crosby can turn into 50 goal scores, I think I'm going to take Crosby to win a cup. But I think Connor's a better player overall. I think that's a fair argument. Like if he, he has that that it factor, exactly. and he has an aura around him that McDavid doesn't quite have yet no, in terms of just yeah. having it. He, he, he hasn't has, won, and he and he can. He he has a time to get there. But you're right. Right now, I'm taking Sid in his prime in like the late 2010s, even not the late 2010s, sorry, like 2010, anywhere between like when he came into the league when he won those two back to back cups. Like he he had a different thing about him. And McDavid can if he goes on going on goes on and wins the cup this year, maybe maybe people will think of him like that. But in fairness, we don't. If McDavid wins the cup this year, my answer changes. The thing is, is that even like Sidney Crosby's longevity, I think he just became the the oldest yeah. thirty goal scorer or something like or or the biggest time difference between scoring thirty or forty. There was some big stat that he just had that just spoke to his longevity. He put up a hundred points a couple of years ago. Yeah. He's like what, thirty four, thirty five? I still think he's a top six center in the league. I would even think there's an argument to put him as top five. Yeah, he's 14th in the league scoring right now. He has 85 points in 72 games. Like playing beside two, playing beside who? He's given Jake Gensel a seven by seven. Yeah, you know he's he's made him, and he's the he's the only him and Eric Carlson like the only two guys in the top 15 that are over 30. So goes to show. Crosby was just different. Yeah, I think there were a bunch of years that he put up 125 points, like. Crosby was him. He battled injury for a lot of time. Yeah. His career would come back. Imagine if he didn't have those like concussions and those draw problems. But it is it is fair. Like McDavid had collarbone injuries for a while. I think he, he missed PCL. He <laughs> PCL. I mean, they're very comparable. Both are great. They're like, very comparable. Yeah. But to win me a cup, yeah, I think I have to take Sid. Yeah, I, I don't think you can disagree with that. Yeah, he put up 120 points in his second NHL season. Insane. Insane. And then got injured. Afterwards, he had a couple, a few more hundred point seasons. He had 128, 19, which was not that long ago. Like, yep. He's on a different level. He might get a, he needs 15 points in 10 games. He can do it. Very to get another 100 point season. Very much so can do it. And also a little bit off off topic. 
Did you see the backhand goal that he scored a couple days ago? I didn't, ago? but I heard he registered like, was it 60-something or maybe even 80-something miles? It was a stupid number that the it's shot, insane. whatever the radar got on his backhand. It's toe, like a wrist shot. Toe drag around a, a defenseman from the top of the circle. An insane release off the toe drag. Backhand pretty much barred down. Best backhand in NHL history, you know? Oh, for sure. Yeah, for I don't, sure. You can, I don't think you can argue with that. For sure, for sure. But, you know, when you think about Sidney Crosby, what's the first other player that you think of that he gets compared to all the time in his prime? Ovi. Ovi. Let's, you want to talk a yeah. little bit about Ovi? Ovi passes Gretzky for the most 40 goal <sighs> seasons of all, t- all time. I think a motto in the NHL is or in life is death, taxes, and Ovechkin scores 40. It pretty yeah. seems like. 13 times he did it. That's it, ridiculous. Um, the funny thing is, though, so if he only scored 40, and those seasons he scored 50, 60, mm-hmm. if he only scored 40, he'd have... He'd be 38th all-time in goals. That's just And just those 13 seasons. That would still put him top 40 all-time in goals. It's just consistency, yeah. man. And he scored, he was scoring 40 in lockout years and COVID years and stuff like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. those yeah. interfered with his big... T- he got, he had, so he had a full lockout. His first his rookie year, that was a lockout. Yep. 2012-13 CBA, that was a 40-year, 40 40-game 40 season. And the two COVID-shortened seasons. That's like... Probably two and, a bit three, two and a bit, if not three full seasons that he missed and he in his prime. If he In his prime, he was averaging 50, but yeah. we'll even call it averaging 40. Let's say 40. It's 120 goals. He's at 821 right now. He would have blown the wa- record out of the water Would already. have been 940. What does Gretzky have, 965 or something? He's, he's 74 away from him right now. Oh, yeah. He would have hammered it. Blown it out of the water. Could have got to 1,000. Could you imagine that? Every year we say this guy is going to fall off. Every single does. year. And every year he manages to clip the over on his goal prop. Every single year he's got 67 games played this year, 41 goals, 30 assists. Like, And he's playing with nobodies. Kuznetsov isn't even good anymore. He's missed a lot of the year. I think he's playing with Dylan Strome That whole now. team has been bad this year except for him. He's playing with Dylan Strome and Connor Sheary. He's still averaging a goal a game almost on that line. He was, once again was on fifty on pace for fifty if he pl- played a full eighty two like he's playing in almost every game like I don't need, I'm lost for words right now because it seems like he's getting younger as he gets older yeah he's he's aging like fine wine who who was the other player who I can't remember there are like players in a, a lot of sports who just find ways to stay incredibly good like and from a soccer perspective like I'm just thinking of my favorite teams like Ibra is now. 41 and, and can't stay healthy but he came back to milan when he when he was like 38 i think and he like helped when helped us win the uh the championship was he like, pace for like winning the golden boot in Serie before he got hurt yeah he like in terms of like minutes per goal he led the Serie i think a couple years ago and he's like he was 39 so just guys find ways to stay relevant and not relevant good not even relevant good um and he's like he is doing it in hockey and a sport that after 30 you're almost ridden off yeah um, and he's almost 40 and he's still top five top six goal scorer in the league we talked about this before when he broke Gordie Howe's goal record yeah. is like was he gonna break Gretzky's and we had said the two contingencies were one is he plays on a team that isn't terrible and number two that doesn't get hurt well I mean he's playing on a terrible team now and he's still doing it so uh, that's out the window the only contingency is that he doesn't get hurt yeah. and Ovechkin is going to play until he can't walk anymore because yeah. he's going to beat that record it's, if he if he scores four more goals this year which he will probably mm-hmm. he just needs two 35 goal seasons very very doable, for, doable him. for him the problem is he's one ACL injury from never playing a game of hockey again of course um 
that's yeah i mean he's got to stay healthy but he has he's shown a track record of staying healthy even if you stretches that out he has a 325 goal seasons i mean here's the question if um if he breaks wayne's record yeah. now holds the most 40 goal seasons of all time mm-hmm. i don't think the question anymore is, is is he the greatest goal scorer of all time he probably already is he will be if he does that yeah. but if he does this is he on the mount rushmore of hockey i don't know how you don't put him on okay to be the best in the world the best ever and the hardest and the most important thing to do in your sport i don't know how you're not considered one of the four best players of all time and and to and that means Sid doesn't make it, which is really difficult for me to comprehend. But I just don't. It's it, this is not a Sid doesn't deserve it. It's an I don't know how you keep Ovi off. And be, and I, and I say that because I think all hockey fans have Gretzky, Lemieux, and Orr on it. I think if you ask a certain generation, how is a non-negotiable on that on that too? So it's Lemieux probably. For me, I would probably take How off because Ovi is a better goal scorer than How. Um, I think he has to be on it. So you would take if if he breaks the overall goals record, he's a yep. better player than Sidney Crosby. You're taking him over Sidney Crosby on your team. The, the, for me, this is a this is a greatness thing. This is a measure of of greatness and legacy in the sport of hockey. And I think to be, I would still take Sid. Don't get me wrong. If I had to make a team tomorrow, Sid's still on it. I wouldn't take I wouldn't take many players, if any players, over Sid in a draft of terms of like prime. But I think in terms of greatness, I think to, Sid was better at everything than every other player, but he wasn't like the best goal scorer. Like, to be that is something special. And no one ever thought this record was going to be broken. Mm-hmm. And now it, it will be a shock if he doesn't break it. I, I agree. It's, it's the Mount, Mount Rushmore isn't saying best of all time. It's saying greatness. Yeah. And I agree. The hardest thing to do in hockey and the most valuable and the most rare thing to do in hockey is to score goals. And if you are the best at that and also breaking a record that was before he entered into the season, into his career, objectively thought to like consensus to be unbreakable. And the fact that he does this with his longevity, he is probably one of the greatest players to ever play the game. Yeah. And from that standpoint, I agree. The problem is, is there's only four people on the Mount Rushmore of yeah. hockey, and I you can't take off Gretzky. No, McDavid's gonna be there, I think, by the time his career's done. Yeah, but let's ignore him for this. Oh, because he's he he will probably take someone off when his career's said and done. Yes. Okay, so right now, yeah, right now, Gretzky. I think Lemieux has to be up there. Yeah. I really do. I think Sidney Crosby has to be up. Oh, but see, then Bobby Orr Bobby has to Orr be up there. Bobby Orr the position of, def- of defense. Like you're talking, we're talking about trailblazers on yeah, legacy. That's fair. He has to be there. I'm going to very marginally take Sidney Crosby over Ovechkin. <laughs> yeah. And I, again, there's no wrong answer. Like, how am I going to make up? Uh, how can I make up an argument as why Sid doesn't? I just made an argument for Ovi, yeah. but that doesn't mean that Sid isn't deserving. It, if he were to take it off, it would be it would be for Sid. It would be for Sid. And what's crazy is. By the end of our era's careers, you could make an argument that the Mount Rushmore of hockey will be Gretzky, Lemieux, McDavid, Kale McCarr. Yeah, you can. Because we said Kale McCarr was the fastest to get to 200 points. He might get five Norrises in his career. He's on pace probably to win, to win three cups. If he breaks Bobby Orr's Norris records and points records, which he's on pace to do. I mean, wow. It's like 
that would be an interesting conversation. It's one of the best eras in hockey. It's one of the most changing eras. Obviously, every era changes the game, but we're witnessing some of the best players to ever play come yeah. up now. We could see, we're possibly seeing three of the top seven players ever to ever play for sure. all at the same time, For sure, which is special for us as hockey fans. I'm excited. Me too. We yeah. um Before we get into talking about our playoff predictions, I think this is a good time to to throw it over to Nick. You're very good at giving these intros. Do you want to tease it a little yeah, bit? Yeah, so this will be the second time that Nick's joining us. So we're really grateful for that. And we're just going to chat a little bit about some what teams have been looking like after the trade deadline, ask for his perspective on some Leaf stuff, and we're going to get his opinion on the World Baseball Classic and what the NHL should be doing in that regard. So we'll throw it to Nick, and then we'll be back uh, just after that. So we're really excited to be joined for the second time um, by Nick Alberga, who's had an extremely busy schedule, so we're really grateful for him taking a few minutes out of his day to join us. Um, I'm going to be doing this interview on my own because Angelo is busy this afternoon, unfortunately. Um, but Nick, thank you so much for taking the time to join us again. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And it is a really exciting time in the hockey world, as we don't That's know. That's for sure, yeah. It's like the regular season's kind of getting a little boring, but we're getting to the best part. So it it's is. exciting for that reason. It is, but uh, I, I'm right there with you. I don't know about you. This regular season is dragging. Yeah. I'm just ready for the Stanley Cup playoffs. And then you look and it's like, oh, no, there's still 11, 12 games left in the regular season slate. Now, not every fan base is going to feel that way. But when you cover the Maple Leafs, they've had this playoff spot pretty much locked up since like yeah. November. It's crazy. And we know who they're playing. We've known that yeah. forever. Yeah. Um, but yeah. first question, we're going to stay just a tad away from hockey. Um, just kind of ask you a question. So, Nick, you've been doing a ton this season. Kudos to you. You're writing on Leafs Nation, writing for a daily face-off. You got your podcast with the Leafs Nation and, and with NHL Fantasy on ice. And now you're doing some stuff with OLG. Like, how's the season just been for you on a personal, professional level? Um, it's been pretty hectic. Yeah. I'll be honest. It's my first year uh, working, uh, of course, alongside the Nation Network and sort of spearheading this whole Leafs Nation activity from a digital standpoint and doing my show on a daily basis with Jay Rosehill. But that's the way I like it. Uh, I love covering the game. If there were a day where I woke up and I didn't enjoy what I did, I probably wouldn't do it anymore. It's very, very hectic. The hours are crazy, yeah. but uh, it's still it still ignites the passion in me. So until that day doesn't happen, I'll continue to do this as long as I can. That's good. That's happy to hear. At least you're enjoying the grind because or else what's yeah. the point kind of thing. Yeah. On yeah. that note, we're a few weeks out from the trade deadline. So now that we've had a couple of a couple of weeks, 10 or so games to see how the teams are settling in, I just want to ask you, who do you think has been the best trade deadline acquisition so far in terms of how they've impacted their team and maybe even considering value for money or value for picks in some cases? I think it's pretty simple okay. for me. It's it's Matthias Ekholm with the Edmonton Willers. Like yeah. I just think you look at the person, you look at the fit, you look at the versatility. I think Willers fans are finding out quickly this guy has more to give offensively than they let on or they thought from his days with yeah. Nashville. Obviously a bit restricted with Roman Yossi on the back end there in Nashville. I think he's been outstanding. And then you compliment him and insulate him with the guys around him. I do think... And uh, famous last words, but I do think the Oilers are, are now a bona fide contender because they needed that one guy. I would have loved them to pick up another guy in the back end, but still, when you pick up a guy of the caliber of a Matias Ekholm, I think he's been a perfect fit. And to me, he's really stood out of the guys who have been dealt or were dealt around deadline time. Yeah, he's been a great fit. And maybe this is because I don't watch him that or I didn't watch him that much in Nashville, yeah. but he's been chipping in with some goals. And I mean, if you can add that to what he does 
exceptionally well already. I mean, that's a hell of a bargain. Well, well, that's the thing, right? And and obviously, I watch a lot of hockey in, in my day job, but like that's the one thing people didn't realize when Ekholm got traded to Edmonton. Like this guy can do it offensively. Yeah. He's got some pizzazz. He's got some wherewithal. Um, he's really, really smart. The IQ defensively is insane. Just he yeah. knows where to make that first pass, and then. On top of that, you add in the fact that he's now playing with arguably the two best players on the planet. It's not even arguable in McDavid's yeah. case, but Drysaddle's up there oh, for absolutely. sure. It just, you know, it's the two best players he's ever played with. I think you look at Nashville, it's always been sort of scoring by committee with exception to Roman Yossi on the back end. So it's a different system, better players offensively around him. And that's why I think you're seeing an uptick in point production. But yeah, Matias Ekholm, you want to talk about all-round defensemen in this league that never get love. He's a high top my list for, for sure. sure. I was saying when when um, the trade happened, like for us Leafs fans, it felt a lot like when they got Muzzin, and I guess a lot of people didn't yeah. really realize what Muzzin brought to the table in terms of two way game because he was all the way out in LA and wasn't a huge name. Yeah, I get very similar sort of vibes from this trade for the Oilers. Yeah, peak Muzzin. I, I mean, he was a really really consistent player. Um, you know, production was there sometimes. He was versatile. And he played heavy, yeah. and I think that's a lot of the brand that Matthias Ekholm offers, and he's still on top of his game. Like, I know Nashville didn't go all the way, but certainly had a lot of playoff experience along the way. He just looks like a grizzled vet. I, I just, I love the way he plays, too, with the Viking beard. Like, he just brings so much to that roster, and, and maybe I'm get, getting a tad too horned up about the Edmonton Oilers. I just think there's a better pathway. Yeah in the Western Conference than there is the Eastern Conference to go all the way and potentially win a Stanley yeah, Cup. Angelo and I made a little bet a couple of weeks ago. I have the Oilers going farther than the, the Avs. He thinks the Avs are going to go farther. But I just have a feeling about this Oilers team. Like I just I think McDavid's going to put them on their back and put them on his back and just, I don't know. I think they can make a run to the final, honestly. The, the big thing with Edmonton um, is the goaltending, yeah. right? Like, they have one goalie with, with exception... With all due respect to <laughs> Jack Campbell, he has been like an AHL goalie, maybe yeah. an ECHL goalie this year. They, they, they're putting all their trust in a rookie netminder in Stuart Skinner, who is an all-star this year. Granted, he, he's been phenomenal, but what happens when they face adversity? What happens when he lets a, a terrible goal in the Stanley Cup playoffs? We know it's coming. They have yeah. no fallback option, as opposed to other teams around this league who potentially have some fallback options. So... That's probably the one thing I would take away from Edmonton. I'm with you. I think they're really, really good. They have the most depth they've ever possessed yeah. in the Connor McDavid era. I like their back end now with the Ekholm pickup, but goaltending, can it stand up? But you can make that case for a lot of teams in this yeah, league right now. Yeah, for sure. Now. But them especially, that's a that's a great point to bring up. And now that we've talked about what you think your favorite is, worst is a little harsh. So is there a one trade that's been yeah. underwhelming to you so far? Uh, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Uh, it's a tough one because we we think about the good ones all the time, right? So it's tough to think of yeah. an overwhelming one. Is there a team? Man, so much has happened. I don't even remember what, what happened a, anymore. It's been like that. What about a team that's that had an underwhelming deadline for your expectations for them? Yeah, sure. Like Winnipeg's in yeah. that conversation. I, w I wish they did a bit more at the deadline. Um, profoundly, it has to be the Carolina Hurricanes. Now, yeah. they didn't know that Svechnikov was going to go down, but like, they're in trouble. I like the Gossespierre mm -hmm. pickup, but I don't think they did enough. They were sniffing around, obviously, on the big yeah. boys. Didn't land Timo Meyer, but that's a team that has really lacked the offense when it matters most in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Their power plays fizzled up in the past, and I just don't know if they'll have enough offensively uh, to pull through. I guess to answer your question, uh, you know, don't leave me off the hook there. <laughs> Maybe it's the New York Rangers. I think Ooh. we expected a bit okay. more out of, out of Patrick Kane and. He's been so-so. Like, if you remember when that deal went down, he was the biggest name. Patrick Kane's a New York Ranger. 
you know, granted, you have to give him some time. He spent so much time with the same organization. But all this conversation about Patrick Kane and Artemi Panarin, the old chemistry, the old gel, it's coming back. They spent like three games together, no longer yeah. together. So it just shows you the history. Uh, that history doesn't always repeat itself. So that, that's probably my takeaway because of all the conversation around his name. I guess another name I'll throw out there now mm -hmm. that I'm thinking about some of the guys who were moved were, uh, you know, Timo Meyer with the New Jersey okay. Devils, right? Like, he's been okay, but he hasn't been anything special. Like, they picked Meyer up to be a game That's breaker right. and, you know, to pair him with Jack Hughes, and they haven't found that chemistry yet. But again, it's really, really early. I I'm very curious to see, to have this conversation maybe like six months from now or a year from now to see how differently I feel about the deadline. Yeah, those are, I guess the th good thing about those players is that they haven't they have it in them to turn it around, but I, Kane especially, even Tarasenko has been, they've been good, but they haven't been yeah. maybe what they expected. So the Rangers are going to be a fun yeah. team to keep an eye on, I think. Well, well, that's the thing is like people look like looking at the spreadsheets and the charts and uh, the fantasy land yeah. and, you know, you put this NHL 23 <laughs> roster together, but like it's another, and I brought this up with the mm -hmm. Leafs too, as we, we translate over to yeah. the Leafs world, like chemistry is another conversation like just because you have Patrick Kane and Tarasenko and Zibanejad and Kreider and it really is an embarrassment of riches up front specifically then you have Shesterkin you have Fox you have to mesh you have to put it all together that's why we always laugh in the NHL world some of the juggernaut teams in the last 15 years have had the worst power plays like Anaheim comes to mind um, I know Nashville struggled mm -hmm. for, for a long period of time the San Jose Sharks it makes no sense but it's one thing to have the personnel on your roster and, and all that, but it's another thing to make a gel and, and the chemistry to be there. And I, I think fortunately enough, these teams have had a lot of time to play yeah. together and we'll see if a team like the Rangers can put it together when it matters most. That's a great point. And you took me to the Leafs, which is perfect. Yeah. So I've heard like a little bit of conversation, even at the deadline and now since the deadline, people questioning whether the Leafs made the right trades, whether they got worse. Like, where do you sit on the Leafs now after having seen their new look roster for a few weeks? Well, as somebody, again, who has worked in this market for pretty much like the better part of the last 12, 13 mm -hmm. years, I can tell you there's whatever they did at the deadline, there's going to be the naysayers and there's going to be the positive people who are happy with what they did. Most importantly, I think Kyle Dubas uh, did the best he could and put themselves put his team in position to win a Stanley mm -hmm. Cup. Uh, I do firmly think the onus is now on the players. Obviously, we, we haven't had a full scope of what this team could look like. Ryan O'Reilly played eight games, three goals. Uh, you know, I think he's got a lot to give to this roster from a matchup point yeah. of view, and I think they're going to slot him in at least to begin with on the third line. You talk about depth. You have Matthews, you have Tavares, you have O'Reilly up the middle. From a matchup standpoint, uh, that shapes up pretty oh, yeah. well against a team like Tampa. So we won't find out till the Stanley Cup playoffs and more long-term if the deadline was a win. But more times than not, I think it's appropriate to bring up that most Cup winners don't win the deadline. They don't hmm. do much at the deadline. Yeah. Like I, I think the rare exception last year was Colorado or Terry Leckett in that pickup, Josh Manson. Like, they filled needs. And to a degree, I do feel like Toronto filled some needs. Yeah. Like, they didn't get Patrick Kane. They didn't get Timo Meyer. Uh, you know, they've, they've been after a, a left winger to play with JT and Marner and those guys for a long time. They didn't get that no. guy. They got a guy with experience, a guy who went to Conn Smythe and Ryan O'Reilly, and that's okay. Like, I think they filled some needs. Love the bottom six ads with Lafferty and, and Nola Chari's been a good fit. Uh, still wonder about the back end a bit, but 
all in all, I think that's my major takeaway. Kyle Dew has put this team in a position to win, and that's all you can ask for, quite frankly. I mean, that, that's the nature of the business. You got there, There's element of risk, right? Absolutely. I, I think it's about time the players take responsibility, too, because Dubas yeah. and Babcock yeah. previously have taken a lot of heat, mm-hmm. and maybe rightfully so at times, but now I agree. It's, so, it's solely on the players, and if, you know, if they want to succeed, it's up to them, and I think that's a good, a good little added pressure, to be honest. Well, that's the conversation, right? So let's say we have this conversation in, what, six yeah. weeks from now. They lose to Tampa. I think the only card left, and obviously there's going to be some some heads that fly, and, and, and maybe it's Kyle Dubas, maybe it's Sheldon Keith, but they elect to maybe keep these guys around. I think the next move has to be trading one of the core four. It's not going to be JT. It's not going to be Matthews. So automatically it goes to Nylander and Marner. That's why the, the next six weeks are the most yeah. important time and in Leafs Nation and maybe, you know, since the Pat Quinn era, like yeah. everything is on the line. I think they, they felt the urgency too when they made all those moves at the deadline. But I think you're so right. Like ultimately they've done all they've could in previous deadlines and previous iterations. Like they're a top five team in the league. And yeah. again, the onus is now firmly on the players to push through and we'll see if they can do it. I here. hope they can. Just before we get into the playoffs, um, like Keith has been making a ton of lineup changes recently, just mixing yeah. and matching left and right. I feel like that's more for a, I wonder what I have if in, in, in a pinch situation. But yeah. what do you want to see in terms of line combinations, in terms of lineup decisions once we hit game one? Like, what do you want them to be looking like? Well, firstly, I want to see something solidified in the next couple okay. of games. If they're going with six defensemen, I don't like seven defensemen. No. Uh, you know, I, I'm a theorizer, if that's mm-hmm. a word. I, I do feel like Matthew Nyes is, yeah. is in their crosshairs like they've got a spot opened up somewhere and it could be with austin matthews i just have that feeling that they're going to give him an extensive look whenever he's able uh to play and, and number two will he sign i think people are not talking yeah. about enough like it's not etched in stone that he's going to sign with the maple Leafs following this season especially if minnesota doesn't win the world uh the, the ncaa title in the states there so I just want to see some something solidified. Uh, you know, I, I don't have as much of a problem as most people or a lot of people do in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I, I have been saying this since like December. Now's the time to, to tinker with some stuff and some experimentation. And, and now he pretty much knows what he has. Like he's tried pretty much yeah. everything. Uh, so I want to see just everything solidified and uh, a bunch of games together with that unit that you're going to bring into game one against Tampa here. Yeah, and so... You want to see some solidity in terms of the lineup. What yeah. do you lo- what are you looking for them in terms of play in these last, let's say, 10, 15 games? Do yeah. you want them to be going all out or do you want them to take it easy? Is there a fine line you got to walk? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, honestly, sure I had this conversation <laughs> with, with Gord Stelic, who was on my show yeah. the other day, my, my old co-host on Sportsnet 5.9 of the fan. And he brought up a good point. Like, I think it was the pack win era. One series against the Ottawa Senators where Toronto lost like seven in a row to finish up the regular season. And then they came out and just steamrolled the okay. Ottawa Senators. So I think even from a betting point of view, anybody listening or watching, like I wouldn't put much stock in the last 10 games, especially for a team like Tampa or Toronto. I know a lot's being made of the lighting right now. They're really, really fluttering. But mm-hmm. once the lights are on in game one, it's a different story. Like I just don't think momentum shifts from game to game. And I just don't put as much stock as, as some people do in the last 15 games. So to answer your question, I, I just want to see a level of consistency I know it's tough just as a human being and uh, having, you know, not played anywhere close to the NHL in sports or whatever. It's tough to get up for games when they don't matter. I know people will come back with, oh, they're still fighting for, you know, home ice. Okay, sure. 
I don't think Tampa wants home ice. I don't think the Leafs really care if they have okay. home ice. I think Tampa proved last year they could win in Toronto. They can win in Tampa. Like, it really doesn't matter. So I just want to see an element of consistency uh, and a team feeling good. And health is big too, right? O'Reilly yeah. goes down. Achari's been banged up. Brody's been banged up. Um, I, I don't mind the load management whatsoever. Have these guys as fresh as possible for game one. Hell, I don't even mind, like, you know, sitting Matthews oh, yeah. for a game or Marner or JT. Like, just create an injury. Make an yeah. injury up and say, yeah, this guy's banged up. He's day-to-day. He's not playing. I guarantee that's going to happen. Sure, man. I would support that as well. Like, I don't care if you, who you play and if you lose, like just get to game one and be ready for that yeah. because yeah. that's all that matters. Yeah. So just gonna gonna round up by asking you some questions about just NHL in general and best on best because we saw over the weekend or yeah. over the weekend earlier this week, World Baseball Classic, Otani strikes out Trout to win it, and my Twitter feed for not even someone who really follows baseball was full of it. Um, yeah. See the engagement, the viewership was off the charts. Um, Let's talk a little bit about how the NHL needs to kind of get their act together. Do you think they need to really make this best-on-best happen? Well, firstly, I think what's what's getting people so passionate about this whole World Cup of Hockey thing is that we haven't seen best-on-best for, like, I can't even remember the last time we've seen best-on-best. Like, put it that way, right? With the the no Olympics, then COVID. And that's why I think the juices are there. Fair. As somebody who was there at the last World Cup mm-hmm. in Toronto, I broadcasted from the concourse with Steve Coolius and Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. It was a disaster, but I, I think just more so those that, that Team Europe team, like yeah. the gimmick teams were a joke. Like you have to go nation on nation. You have to have people sign off. Like people don't understand the logistics mm-hmm. behind the scenes. Like I understand in a perfect world you want to see it, but the PAS that you know sign off on it, like there's just you know insurance. There's just so much that goes on behind the scenes. So I know we we all like to live in fantasy camp in this fantasy world, and let's do it. There, there's just so many optics financially behind the scenes that you have mm-hmm. to to think about. Having said that, I, I do feel robbed. Like I, you know, my dream is to see McDavid, uh, you know, with McKinnon with Crosby on a line. Like that's Insane. a dream, and unfortunately, we've been robbed of seeing Connor McDavid nationally. You know, to begin with, because he was on the North America team in the last World Cup. So hopefully something comes to fruition, put together. Having said that again, you can't get players to care, right? Like watching the last tournament and maybe it's positioning of the tournament. Maybe it's stakes. I don't know what it is. I'm glad I'm not on that committee. But I think that's the noticeable thing for me in this, you know, World Baseball Classic. The the players actually Mm -hmm. cared and and the best players went. Um, I just think things have to align, but maybe this is what we needed, like years off to get that hunger up there. Again. That's fair. I mean, McDavid coming out and talking about it is a yeah. pretty big thing because he's pretty usually pretty hush-hush. Um, yeah. But last question, I think this one's a little more fun. If there was a World Cup of Hockey tomorrow, who do you think wins? Because I don't think it's as clear as it used to be. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking about this for a year, man. <laughs> The United States is coming. They are coming. And then I look at that Canadian roster and obviously by default being Canadian, you're like, yeah, Canada is going to win. But I, I'm with yeah. you. I think it's really, really close. And then you look at some of the names they could house on that American roster off the top of my head. Tate Thompson, yeah. Austin Matthews, you know, even the later days of Patty Kane, the Kachuk brothers. Yeah. They have depth on depth on depth. I think the other concern from a Canadian standpoint Seriously, have this conversation right now. Who the hell is their starting goaltender? Like, I don't know when this country stopped manufacturing stud net miners, but along the way, we got lost. Yep. Uh, the back end's another question mark. Up front, I think pound for pound, Canada probably still the mm-hmm. best, but 
there are a lot more question marks this Absolutely. time around. And I, I think that's why people are riled up too, yeah. right? Like, I think we want to see this. Um, and I do think the other countries around Canada have got significantly better over the last couple of years and all the superstars that have come to fruition in this league. So, yeah, I think the States would, you know, off the top of my head, I think the States would give Canada a run for its money. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think, I mean, like, even 2010, 2014, I felt pretty good about Canada it being able close. to beat any team yeah. that they came across. But yeah. I saw some of those yeah. rosters floating around, too, and those American teams, they're yeah. superstars on every line from 1 to 12 yeah. on, on offense, and their defense and their goalies yeah. are unreal, too. Um, yeah. Canada's Carter It's Hart. just something about Can- being Canadian. Yeah. Though. Like, I don't even care about the rosters, man. Like, it's all about chemistry. We just talked about it with the New York Rangers. You could have unbelievable players on your roster, but can you put them Fair. together and be a cohesive unit? That's another question. So I would probably still put my money on Canada just because they know how to get the job done. There's so many vets who they can, you know, sprinkle yeah. around the roster. And the new age guys are absolute studs. And a lot of them have won, too, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. Let's just say I, another question just popped into my head. If there's a yeah. World Cup of Hockey, I'm not going to say next year because maybe too soon, but the year after, when Bedard's yeah. sophomore year, do you think he makes it? Exactly. Yeah, I, th- I think he's in the conversation. Okay. Like it really depends on the first year, his trajectory. But like if you were to ask me right now, I think it's highly unlikely that like the next tournament we'll get is fingers crossed 2026, Jeez. and you'll love this in in Italy, baby. No way. Like, uh, it doesn't get yeah, it doesn't get any better than that. Let's like, go. You know, a bucket list thing for me covering hockey has been to attend a Winter Olympics. And I've had that scouted for a while to be in the homeland yeah. in Italy, man. That would, that'd be incredible. Um, but yeah, the, I, I don't foresee a World Cup, but certainly yeah. you would think by 2026, Connor Bedard on a line with Connor McDavid, uh, it, it gets me more going than a Friday night on King Street Absolutely. West in Toronto. I'll say that. Absolutely. Fires me up. That's yeah. something worth yeah. getting fired up for. I can, I can picture yeah. it. Two Connors, I think. They would be oh. they'd light that tournament up. It wouldn't be fair. Yeah, yeah. With that, Nick, I think that brings us to a close. I think want to thank you again um, for coming on. I mean, I know you've come on before, but if you want to quickly give some of yeah. our listeners a quick guide to where they can find your work, that'd be awesome. Sure. Yeah. So I host a daily show on, uh, I guess, the Leafs Nation YouTube account okay. now at the Leafs Nation four hundred one at the Leafs Nation four four hundred one or Leafs Nation. On YouTube, what you type in to find us, it's myself and former Leaf Jay Rosehill. We're live every day, 11 to 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time. It's called Leafs Morning Take. So all-encompassing look at the Leafs on a daily basis. Got some great guests this past week. We had Jamie McLennan, nice. uh, you know, Gord Stelic. We've had, um, you know, Luke Shen on the okay. show. He's probably going to come on next week because he's buddies with Rosie. Uh, so we're gaining steam at the Leafs Nation 401. And I continue to co-host the NHL Fantasy on Ice podcast. That's also available wherever you find your podcast if you're into fantasy hockey, even though it's winding down right now. It's playoff time, so everyone's got to tune yeah. in for that. Mm-hmm. Well, Nick, thanks again for taking the time. Hopefully, um, this isn't the last time we chat, but if we don't chat during the playoffs, let's hope the Leafs have some success, and thank you again. Oh, let's hope, man. I'm just so tired of these first-round <laughs> exits, and then now I'm covering the Leafs again. Yeah. I took like a year off. Now I'm covering this team again. I just don't know how much PTSD... I have a left. So let's hope they do something substantial here. It's just tough they're playing Tampa, I gotta yeah, say. Absolutely. Fingers crossed, but we'll see. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. We're just going to take a brief intermission here to shout out the sponsor of today's episode, Manabo Town. Located in North York, Ontario, Manabo Town is ready to support you with all of your pregame luxury wear. Ranging from sharp suits to sleek shirts and pristine ties, Manabo Town is here to elevate your game to the next level. 
Visit Manabout Town today or find them on Instagram at manabouttown265 to learn more about how they can assist you. Thanks again to Nick for joining us. Um, we're just going to wrap up the episode by talking a little bit about the playoff race. There hasn't been too many changes really to the order of things, but we just want to talk about kind of how we feel about some of those teams in those in the race. So um, do you want to start off by giving us a team that you're considering, you think, and convinced are fraudulent? That are in the playoffs now? That are in the playoffs. I hate saying this because these guys were my pick to make a run because of what they did in the offseason. Mm. The, the, okay. the, the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Pittsburgh Penguins have made. Yeah, they're kind of fraudulent. They've made the playoffs 15 years in a row. The last time they won a round, though, was in 2018. They're in the worst position in hockey. Like, they're too good to get a lottery pick, but, like, they're not good enough to contend. And it's impossible to contend with a guy like Crosby, Malkin, and Latang and Gensel all signed to big deals, right? It's not going to happen. But when. Hextall, right? It's Hextall. I always get the GM names wrong. But Hextall, when he went into the offseason and signed Malkin, who was. Late mid to late thirties, Latang mid to late thirties, and he's got Gensel who's getting older and Crosby on long term deals. You thought, okay, they're they have a five year window, they're going all in for five years. And then at the deadline, they got a bunch of washed up guys and like no offense, but like to Granlin, I mean he's nothing great anymore. No, awesome. Who else did they get? Kulikov, right? Kulikov, they yeah. Kulikov. Like and I was on LTIR. You <laughs> you would have thought that this team was already had their backs up against the wall with a controversial offseason. They end all that doubt. They go all in, and now you go, okay, these guys are selling every single year. They're getting top-end talent, and they did nothing at the deadline. They look worse at the deadline, after the deadline, than they did before, and that makes sense because the Metro got stronger. They're going to have to play Boston or Carolina, or Carolina in the first round, even with Shvechnikov out. I don't think they're good enough to match up against Carolina. I think Tristan Jari's on long-term he's injured reserve now, or he he's sucks. he's like week-to-week week or something like that. He might not be on LTIR, but he's also very bad. Colin Casey DeSmith or Colin DeSmith, I Casey, apologize, Casey. is going to be their starting goalie going into the playoffs. And I'm sorry, he's just not good enough to win you a cup, especially in the Metro. What is, happened last year, right? Yeah, the Metro is the second best division in the in the NHL, I think. And the first one is if they, there's no way they get out of it, but then they'd have to play the hardest division. Mm-hmm. I think they're pretty fraudulent. Um, I don't know. Do you think do you think Pittsburgh wins around? I'd be more confident about them winning around if they played the Hurricanes instead of the Bruins. That's just fair. because the Bruins are the Bruins. I think we saw last year, though, that when Sid's healthy, he he can pull a rabbit out of his hat and go over a point a game in the playoffs and will a team, but he got hurt last year, and we don't know, you know, he's still really, he's, I think we talked about earlier, but he's 14th in league scoring, like he's still Sidney Crosby, but the rest of the team around him, the defense, and you, you hit it, the goaltending is shockingly bad. What's with Pittsburgh Penguins goaltending showing flashes of, like, cup run excellence and then falling off the face of the earth? Yeah, I don't know. Happened with Murray? Happened with Murray, and now it's it happened, happened with Jari. And it happened with Flurry. Flurry a little bit too. He was he had that reputation in the playoffs yeah. of being a choke choke artist. Um, I don't. It just it seems like a good description of the Pittsburgh Penguins is like what you say with the Canucks. Like they're very directionless. Like one of the worst place to yeah. be in is in this middle ground. But I agree. Like the Pittsburgh Penguins ownership cannot commit to a rebuild with arguably no. one of the best players in history on your team. So mm-hmm. just continue to go all in if you gave these guys big deals. Not like you gave them two-year yeah. deals. You gave Latang a five-year deal. You gave Malkin a five-year deal or four years or Forest, something like that. Um, I don't understand how they're not going all in. They say, okay, we're here now. Let's just keep selling out. Like they're going to be very bad in five years with nothing to show for it over the last 10. Yeah, I was surprised when they hired Hextall because he is – the reason they got fired from Philly is because he was too conservative in terms of didn't want to bring mm-hmm. Carter Hart up. He didn't want to rush his process. But – 
when you're a team with Sidney Crosby's in his mid thirties and everyone else around him is in their mid to late thirties, you probably a GM was a little a little trigger happy. He's gonna like go out and make a big trade because he wants to do that because he, he thinks his team is good enough. Um, I think they made the wrong decision in, in terms of um, their GM, in terms of the profile, how he likes to manage a team. Mm-hmm. And I think Pittsburgh Penguins fans are, are feeling that because no one, none of them like Hextall right now because he's not going out and doing what they would expect someone in his position to do, which is try your best to maximize the window. And if you get another cup run, you're, you already know you're going to be bad for seven years. I don't know, six, seven years after Crosby's done. Mm-hmm. So at least try and be relevant um, in the meantime, before he really, before this, you know, before Crosby really does start to fade away. I agree. I think the saving grace for the Pittsburgh Penguins is that there's no reseeding, I don't think, in the NHL. So I could be wrong. I don't think there is. But in the in the very little percent chance that they beat Boston, I think they would have to play a Metro team next. It's uh, That might... No, if they have to play... Well, Boston would be in the... They have to play the Leafs or Tampa. <laughs> oh. They, but if they if they play the Canes and they play the... the save the... Um, my God, the Devils or the Rangers. And I think that second round matchup would be easier than the first round matchup. For them. But I don't think they're getting past the first round, especially Carolina is like one of the hardest buildings to play in. Like that. Yeah, they are. They're really good at home. That arena is insane. Yeah. And also their fans are just insane. Yeah. Very directionless team. I don't know why, but if we stick in the Metro, I think there's one other team that's fraudulent. Mm. It's the Rangers. Like you, I don't think, I think the Rangers are a first round exit. I really do. I think if they play New Jersey, they are going to lose in the first round. I could see it. We talked about this last year. The Rangers have been mediocre defensively according to their micro stats, but they, they were masked last year by like objectively the best single season goalie performance of all time. Like I think his wins above replacement was off the charts. One of the best save percentage goals of against averages won the Vesna like it was nothing would have won the heart. I believe the first one since Carey Price, if Matthews didn't get 60. Yeah. Like Matthews ended at 58. I, I think I genuinely think Shesterkin would have won it. He legit carried them, I think, to a conference final. Was insane in the conference finals. But the problem is this year is he is just slightly above average. Like he is strongly regressed. He's got a 915 save percentage. Like that's still a bona fide NHL starter. Still a good goalie, but it, but it is a hard fall from the 936 they had last year. And if you look at them defensively, they only added Mikula at the deadline. They didn't get much better defensively. You can argue they got worse with the forwards that they added. I, exactly. Like, their forward their forward defense is bad. Last year, I remember they would win games scoring high. They would also give up a lot of goals, but Shesterkin would let in four goals on 55 shots, so it would be a yeah. high save percentage. If Shesterkin is average this year, this team very much worries me. And if you look at the, um, the player cards that Jay Fresh has shown, you would have thought that Kane and Tarasenko would have elevated their game coming to New York because they have better line mates they're on better teams there's just more motivation both of them wanted out for a while but they've actually like somewhat regressed coming mm. to new york in terms of like play driving in terms of goal scoring in terms of their wars like they're virtually identical their player cards and you can go look at them on twitter i think you had a tweet showing before and after it just worries me that the guys they went all out for haven't elevated their game and it worries me that their best player has become somewhat average yeah it's not yeah that, those are all factors that can make a team kind of Sus heading into the dead heading into the playoffs where it's like yeah they're they're second maybe they have home ice but mm-hmm. if you look a little deeper than their point total and kind of the trends that you've seen maybe that's a cause for concern the Devils are going to be this young they're going to have no scars they're just going to like they, they maybe that they feel like they're playing with house money and if you have a team that doesn't really not scared of anything that's really dangerous because the um, Rangers will be going in with a lot of expectation yep. and the Devils will be going in with we're kind of happy to be here at this point and so that's like we saw what the Leafs pushed the Capitals to six games in their first year in 2017. I think this Devils team is better 
than that Leafs team was. And so they're coming in the same position with the we really we have nothing to lose and they're better than the Leafs were. I could see them upsetting and going on a little bit of a run. One of the most dangerous teams to play against is a team that plays on house money, like you're yeah. saying, and especially when they're matched up against a team that has ex- expectations to win. Mm-hmm. You've seen it a lot in March Madness as well. Look at what Princeton has been doing against very big-time teams. They go into every game saying, we're not expected to win. Let's just go out and play ball, and if we win, we win. And they're, what, in the Elite Eight now? And the difference is, like with the New Jersey Devils, they are, I think, on paper, a top-seven team in the NHL. So yeah. they're not just like happy to be here and are bad. They're happy to be here and are good. And they're good. I dark horse pick i honestly think the new jersey devils are an ecf team this year wow i really do yeah if on that side of the bracket i mean they can be the canes and then they're there yeah i think i think the rangers are a harder matchup for them than the kings just because sorry not the kings the canes just because the rangers can score as much as the true as as the devils can and when they go play a canes team that doesn't have sveshnikov i think they can just outscore them like really i do Okay, who's your? I'm I'm gonna move it to you now. We'll change it up a little bit. Who is one team either on the outside looking in right now, or like a wild card team that you think not only can do damage, but you know can kind of maybe contend? Honestly, all the teams on the outside looking in are pretty uninspiring for me. True for me, but like the the, the Islanders, uninspiring um, for the most part, just in the way that they play. Pittsburgh, you talked about it. I'm not going to go over that again, but they don't really strike me as a team that's ready to do any damage other than get kicked out in the first round. So in the East, that kind of leaves me with the Panthers. And I, I think because they're rolling right now and because they've come from like pretty far down in the standings throughout the year, they've been getting progressively better. And the biggest thing we talk about this all the time is that they actually have superstars who have the potential to take over a game in Barkov and in Kachuk. Kachuk's quietly having um, a potential heart candidate worthy season. He's the only reason that team has been relevant so far. I'm disappointed because they didn't add much to the deadline. They couldn't because they don't have draft picks. But I, I think because they're the hottest of the wildcard teams right now and they have game-breaker talent, I think if there's any team to do damage in the East that we're not really looking at, it's them. Again, I'm not terribly confident they're actually going to go out and do that, but I think they have the potential to be that team. Out in the West, not really convinced by Seattle. Not really convinced by the Jets anymore because they've just been kind of mid. So I think of the, of the wildcard teams, if the Panthers can make it, which I think they will, they have the best chance to do damage. But it's going to be a tough road for all of them because the top-end teams are stacked this year. I think that's a really good take because one of the biggest problems with the Panthers was the President's Trophy curse. They came in yeah. every single year with these expectations and couldn't get it done. Lo and behold, this year they're playing with house money. Like you said, if there's a team that go out there and just says, you know what, for the first time in a while... No expectations. Let's just play our game. Yeah. They could they do gotta, some damage. If they got to play the Canes or the Bruins, like they're going to be underdogs. Yep. But that's probably a position they'll relish being in. And I think Bobrovsky is actually not playing poorly right now. Yeah, he's having an okay season. So we'll see. I think the better matchup would be against the Canes. Yeah, I think for sure. A, the Bruins are the best team in history statistically. And B, the Canes got considerably worse after the injury. But yeah, I think that's a good take. That's the only team that inspires me slightly. Um in terms of wildcard teams, because the wildcard teams are pretty mid, in my opinion. But I, I agree. Do you want to go to a team that is un- that has inspired nobody, but they have a few fans that are inspiring a lot? Yeah, <laughs> like my my for you page has been dominated by Habs fan TV recently, um, and it's really funny watching a team who has literally like won seven and two in their last ten <laughs> have without a doubt the most passionate fan base in hockey, and I would argue in North American sports. I I agree. 
for sure, Habs fans are more passionate about hockey than Leafs fans. They are, without, without a doubt. And I have no issue saying that because it's true. Yeah. Um, I think they're also, like I, I think I hear this all the time in, among North American sports fans, that there's nothing even remotely close in Europe, in, in, in North American sports to European soccer fans. Like the level of passion, the level of engagement is different. I think it's a cultural thing rather than like a true fan passion thing. I think the closest thing you get to it here is the Habs fans. So for any any soccer fans listening, you've definitely heard of Arsenal Fan TV and they made their money on just being incredibly passionate fans who will say absurd things in the parking lot after the game and just celebrate and blah, blah, blah. The Habs fans, they, Habs fans TV, they do that. They do the exact same thing. And just like Arsenal Fan TV had their characters, these guys also have their characters. This is one guy who's been all over my For You page. Like I said, his name is Danik. And he's just, I'm going to try and play a TikTok through the screen right now, through the mic. Um, if it doesn't work, Kristen's going to play the audio over it. But just listen to how excited this this guy gets for Kirby Doc, of all people. Let me just pull it up. Like Kirby Doc, is how, he came back from injury. Actually, this is the context. So he came back from injury and then he scored a goal. Avec le premier but de la And they all just go crazy and they're jumping in the street after their team probably lost that game and they're fourth from the bottom of the standings. Oh my god. I kinda just I just love it. I love that we're seeing something like this and that it's of a really bad team and that these passionate fans are going crazy in the street. I, I kinda I kinda love it. I can't stop laughing. Imagine what he imagine what he would do if he actually had a good player on that team. If if this channel was around when they went on their cup run, which it wasn't they would have a million followers because it would have been that times 1,000. Yeah, I have no clue what they're saying because I don't speak French. But from the passion that is coming through that yeah. microphone, it's infectious. It is. And yeah, they just, they, they, the, I think the reverence that Habs fans have for the Habs is greater than any other North American sports team that, that the fans have for, that, for their team. Like, I don't think we're going to ever see anything other else like this in North American sports because the culture is completely different and they have a lot of European influence in Montreal. Um, but I just think it was really cool. I want to talk about it because I think that uh, <laughs> that's also something that builds the game. Yeah, 100%. Like, it's it's infectious for a person who doesn't watch sports. If you saw that, you go, wow, NHL has be the there. vibes. And they even have relationships with that. Like, they, they have videos where they're, they're talking with Harvey Pennard in the street and they got him to sign a picture for this Danik guy and then Danik went on like was crying on his knees when he got the picture <laughs> like watch these guys they're incredible content um, and I think it just goes to show the relationship fans that the Habs have with their fans the players have with these guys too when this team is good even when they're bad they're the passion is unmatched for sure so as a Leafs fan maybe tough to say but I have a lot of res- like reverence towards the Habs and their fan base if the Leafs win a Stanley Cup, can we get a recreation of the video by you for the Toronto Maple Leafs? I'll be, I'll, I will gladly film it if some Toronto okay, hype You're going to be the fan that goes off on the microphone. I'm going to be filming it for you in the middle of the streets. Maple Leaf Square. I the Leafs win the Cup. I can't make that promise, but because... Just do it. Just be just be Ferda. Okay, I'll do it. That would be so fun. I'll do it. I'll wear, I'll wear a Leafs jersey. I will... 
You never shave know? my head. I'll <laughs> I don't know. I don't I'm gonna know. Ma- I'm going to match Danik's energy. I don't learn French. Who knows? And maybe you'll see Austin Matthews in a parking lot or something. Maybe, maybe he'll be willing to come on. If, if that's what it takes, I'll, I'll do it. If that's what it takes to get Austin to recognize us, I will be wild in the street. So if we go on TikTok, we'll only post this. If the Leafs win the Stanley Cup, you saying you'll shave your head for Austin Matthews to come on our pod, you would do it? Actually, we have Frost Matthews to come on our pod, undoubtedly. What the you know heck? what? My hair, my hair goes back. I'll do it too. I'll okay. do it too. We'll see if Austin wants to as well. <laughs> nah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know about that one. It's basically, I won't say anything more in case he comes on. But, we love you, Austin. Yeah, we You're the best you. goal scorer in the But I think that's a good way to end off the episode. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Steph will be back with a 10. I'll hopefully have a 10. All when we red as a tomato one of the two one little vacation um but then we'll be back and it'll be almost playoff time so it's exciting we'll be excited yeah. Leafs cup run 2023 let's get it we'll see you guys all next week see you in a few weeks thank you for tuning in this has been the upon further review podcast we'll see you all next week